0: Let's mm-hmm. to another episode of the Everything Went Black Podcast. I'd like to thank all the well-wishers out there who were concerned about my sprained ankle. I just want to tell you guys that I'm doing well. The inflammation's down, I'm moving around pretty good, and I'm uh, back to doing all the fun stuff that I normally do without any pain. Back when I was a kid in high school, I saw a record by a band called The Gun Club. Pretty much because I thought that was a really cool name for a band, I bought the record. The name of that record was Las Vegas Story, and uh, that record, along with Sex Beat in Miami, were records that I carried with me my whole life and um, are very meaningful to me. And Gun Club are one of my top ten favorite bands of all time. Tonight's guest, Terry Graham, was uh, coincidentally the drummer on all three of those albums. And uh, Terry's got a book coming out about the early L.A. punk scene, and you bet there's probably a chapter or two about the Gun Club in there. So before we get started, I just want to give a rundown on all of our affiliate sponsors. Uh, We've got Dotsasara, the hemp company. If you are looking for a bag, a t-shirt, chopsticks, grappling shorts, they sell rash guards now, they make socks, anything that's hemp-oriented, go on over to the Dotsasara website. That's dsgear.com, or you can get there from the Everything Went Black Media website. I recommend you do it that way because that way I get to uh, wet my beak on whatever purchases you make. It kind of keeps everything lubricated and moving forward. On it, who is part of my daily supplementation program, talked enough about them, you guys know what to do. And Savage Gold Coffee, which is my coffee company. And uh, if you're a fan of strong black coffee, check out savagegoldcoffee.com. Keep the good reviews coming at iTunes. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, leave a review. Leave a star rating. Really cool. Helps us out quite a bit here. Also, if you want to get at me on Twitter, it's at Mike MikeHillHQ. There's a Facebook page for Everything Went Black. Or you can hit me on my personal Facebook page. Or you can email me, Mike.Hill at com. If you've got any requests of uh, future guests... You want to criticize anything we might have done that uh, you weren't happy with or just basically express yourself or just say hello years ago in the 80s when i was a kid i uh found a record called las vegas story by by gun club and Mm -hmm. uh it turned out to be uh one of my favorite records of all time i would say probably one of my top 10 albums of all time (laughs) and uh Lo and behold, I have you uh, on the podcast, and uh, you play drums on that record. Yes. So, are you um, were were you a native uh, California uh, dweller, or did you arrive there through some sort of misfortune? Or- no, I I was like,
1: you know, millions of others, and and uh, I was born in Texas. And uh, my aunt and uncle, who moved out here, God, I don't know. I think it was like the '60s or something. Uh, and they, they they just became planted they are like that's it we're not going back to Texas ever again this is this is us and um, uh, you know my cousin who was about my age I think he was a year younger uh, we were real close um, and so like in the mid 70s 75 76 uh, we got a, a call once his his parents um, my aunt and uncle unfortunately were alcoholics and you uh, But they were like really old school uh, drinkers, you know, because they could just function all day long. Uh, Not a problem, but by the end of the night, you know, uh, it just, it just, it was a faceplant into the bed. And occasionally my uncle would do crazy things at two or three in the morning. So it got a little bit messed up. And so uh, they asked if my cousin could come out to Texas and stay for a little while, which of course, you know, I was all in favor of. He did. Went back after a few months, and then they returned the favor in late 76 and said, you know, because I was, I had talked to him and I said, you know, I'd kind of like to come out and just, you know, visit for a little while. And they said, well, just come on out and stay as long as you wanted. But I, I, I had no intention of staying in L.A. I wanted to go to New York. I, I just, to me, it was just, there was not a contest. You know, it's like I, I'm headed east. And that's that. Because I, I, I bought the first Ramones album. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I was going to, to college at this uh, state school in Denton, Texas, North Texas State University. And I went to the library one day and I got a Village Voice. And it was the first article I'd seen. This is 76. And it was like Richard Hill and uh, Tom Verlaine. Were, and, and, and I mean, it just, you know, seeing it and reading about whatever this was, you know, it was the first time, probably the first time I mean, almost anybody had seen something in the press about it, and uh, I wish I still had the article, but I mean, I was so offended, I couldn't believe it, I'm like, what is this shit, what are these people, you know, I mean, I'm like, you know, all into prog rock, and, you know, Jimi Hendrix was my hero, and all that shit, and, um, but I just have this morbid curiosity, and, and, then, and then I kept reading, and some band called the Ramones, and you know, what's that shit, And it just bugged me all night. The next day, it kept bugging me. So I went up to the record store, and sure enough, and thinking, you know, there's no way they're going to have a Ramones album, but there's a Ramones album. And so I bought it, and I brought it home, played it. I just thought, oh, this is the worst shit I've ever heard in my life. You know, it's like, this is so bad. But the thing is, I couldn't stop listening to it. I just could not stop, you know. And it was a mountain to climb for me to overcome... You know, years of built-up expectation about pop music and everything. But it, there was just like, at one point, it was just like, oh my God, this is the best shit I've ever heard. You know, it's like, it's the greatest album. I loved it, because it just cut through all the crap. And, the, the, you know, the music business then was just so bloated and disgusting and horrible. Um, so then, right after that, I got the call, why don't you come out and stay? And I'm like, well, I, w- I want to go to New York, but... They're offering me free room and board. Fuck it. I'll just go out there and stay for a while and, um, uh, and, and see what that's like. And, you know, there you go. The rest is history. I just ended up staying for years and years. You know, it's just one of those things. It just kind of happens. And so, so uh, uh,
0: correct me if I'm wrong, at that particular period in history, L.A. still wasn't really, there was really not much going on there musically. Like, New York was really kind of the epicenter with, like, you know, yes. Tom Verlaine and, like, the New York right. Dolls and all that sort of stuff. So, it was natural that you wanted to move to New York, I guess. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, no, nothing was going on in L.A. It's completely, utterly dead. And, you know, when I went out there, uh, I kind of, and I sort of have a little, uh, couple of pages in my book where I talk about, you know, all right, I'm going to go check LA out. I'm going to drive around. <laughs> I'm going to see if there's anybody here, you know, that is listening to the Ramones. And, <clears throat> you know, that's a really stupid thing to do in LA because you're going to be driving for the next 10 years. oh yeah totally. Um, but, uh, but, but it was, it was really fun for me because, you know, I sort of, you know, it's like Laurel Canyon, all the old ex-hippies, and and then there's West Hollywood, where all this gay nightlife was just really exploding. But I wasn't hearing the Ramones, you know, and Hollywood was just Hollywood was boarded up. It was like Times Square was back then, you know. It, it was just it it it, um, it was pretty bad. Of course, that's why I liked it, but it was a horrible place, and uh, it still is. But um, but th- there was just there was nothing, you know. There was it was like. Uh, you know, long haired sort of metal bands uh, trying to get those record contracts, you know, and, and, uh, and, and you know, the, the groupies. And, you know, it just, it was so stereotypical. But I'm look, I was seeing it, you know, like on Sunset Strip. And I'm like, ah, God, this is fucking. So, uh, literally right after that, like like within a, a day or so, it was the weekend. Sunday night, Rodney Bing and I had this show oh, yeah. on K Rock, K Rock Q. Which was just this little station at the far right end of the dial, and sure enough, from eight to uh, eleven, he plays nothing but the latest whatever. And in this case, of course, it was music from New York. It was punk rock, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm just—I was just like my jaw dropped when I first found this station, and I and I'm listening to him because I'm like Rodney Bingenheimer, who the you know I. I know a little bit about him, but what's he doing? That's just L.A. for you, though. You know, nothing makes sense. So, um, but there it is. And I'm like, well, if I'm listening to it, other people are listening to it. So there's got to be people here somewhere. And um, so it was just a matter of um, within a month. And this was just like January of 77. Then I found out that Blondie was coming out for their first show here. And then, so I went to that, thinking, you know, I'll meet punk rock fans. Well, you know, it was just too early. I mean, it was really, literally, just born, you know. And uh, and there were a few people that were that they, they got it. And then I'm leaving. The, I left the show, and somebody said the Ramones were going to be there the next week. And I was like, Oh God, okay, all right. Well, I guess I didn't have to go to New York. It's coming to me. And uh, so I went to that. Uh, their first show, also January of 77. I mean, it's either January, February, I can't remember. And that, that was just amazing. That, that was just, that, that was it. You know, I was like, all right, I've heard everything I need to hear. I can get hit by a bus now. Um, and, uh, and people, enough people had come out of the woodwork. You know, the whiskey was sold out. But for months before, the whiskey had been dark. They, there weren't any bands playing. And then they, you know, they started these little power pop. They were just kind of doing it on weekends. It, it was nothing, so they let us all in for free, basically. Oh, and uh, or I was on the guest list. I, I don't even know how I got on it, but um, uh, that that just started it. You know, and that, that's what the Ramones did all over the world. I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm still amazed that some people. You know, well, what about the Sex Pistols? Didn't they start and like nah, no? They, they yeah. started nothing. The Ramones started everything. The the Sex Pistols were in the audience the first time the Ramones played London at the the Roundhouse, you know, and and so were the Clash. And so, you know, all these other people, they weren't even bands yet, but they're watching this. And uh, so it was, you know, everybody gave it up for the Ramones and and deservedly so. But that started the scene and, uh, uh, you know, it really it took off. It never got big in L.A., I mean, I I was in it for the next four years, right at the center of it, living it 24 hours a day. And, um, you know, maybe 100 hardcore fans would, uh, the first year, 150 the second year, people would come out and then go back to the suburbs. But, um, uh, you know, it just just, remained a really kind of tight-knit, very underground kind of thing out here. For a long time, which is weird with the industry in our backyard, you know, but they didn't give a shit. There was no money to be made or, um, you know, groupies to fuck or whatever, you know, cocaine. It just, we weren't that. And uh, it was difficult here because everybody just assumed that everyone was rich or whatever. <laughs> you know, not true. And, um, uh, but, but that's what got the whole ball rolling all that so this sounds like
0: uh sort of stuff that you might be covering in your book which uh which is going to be coming out at some point
1: right uh yeah the book uh i I had not i I never intended to write a uh a book i i knew a lot of people at the time that were uh, really good writers a, a couple of you know they wrote for the they also did stuff for the la times and la weekly and just cream, you know, magazine and all these things, and I thought, eh, one of those guys, they're going to write the book, you know, and, um, uh, so, you know, all these years later, uh, this is about 10 years ago, I just thought, and I was in Texas still at the time, I, I moved back, I'd been in Chicago and other places since, but I just thought, you know, I should write down everything I can think of, I should just do it for myself, put it on a hard drive and go, okay, there's my recollections, and, um, so I started doing that, and, and uh, you know, but 40, 50, 60, 70 pages, and you pretty soon you're like, well, shit, is this a book? I don't know. You know, I didn't feel like I had done anything to warrant a book. And uh, and I'm, I'm still thinking I'm going to write it about the scene, you know, once I decided to turn that corner. But I had a friend in New York, uh, somebody I'd met when I was in Gun Club, and I sent her a couple of excerpts, you know, I don't know, nine or 10 pages. And uh, because I was really anxious for her feedback. She's very smart, very blunt. You know, she was, she would just, whatever she felt, I knew she was going to tell me. And um, she wrote back, and her her response was two words, where's Terry? And I'm like, you know, like, man, what is she talking about? Where's Terry? Um, But then, you know, I didn't have to think about it too long before I realized I'm writing about a scene. I'm not writing about myself. And I, I called her, you know, and she said, I don't give a shit about the scene. I only care what you did in the scene. Now, you could be anybody, but I want to know through your personal experiences and how it affected you. Uh, otherwise, who cares? You know, anybody can, can write about the scene and probably better. And, you know, that was sort of a huge revelation for me. I'm like, ah, but I'm not famous. I didn't do anything, really. And she said, yeah, but... That's that's. She said, that's the only way I'm going to read it. So I thought, all right, shit, I better change it. And uh, so I, I kind of turned the whole thing around. I wrote the whole thing first person, like, you were there. I didn't want to write one of those lookbacks, you know. So all my fuck-ups, mistakes, um, embarrassments, whatever, I just left them all in, no explanation. That's it. That's what happened. That's what I did. There you go. And uh, I actually had a lot more fun doing it that way. So I covered, you know, I covered it all that stuff from, from uh, well, there's some backstory. But all the way through that, and then the longest chapter is the years I spent in Gun Club. Uh, 80, late 80 through almost 1985. So
0: those were, uh, it was a Las Vegas story, um, uh, Miami. Yeah. And um,
1: Fire of
0: Love, Love, the first uh, Miami album
1: and then Las Vegas story. And I had quit and joined and quit and joined the band a couple of times in between all that, because Jeffrey was um, difficult to to deal with um, at times. And um, uh, so, you know, but I don't know. We all knew each other. Jeff had been on the scene since day one out here, and a big, huge, giant fan of Blondie as soon as they started happening, and um, so, you know, it's kind of hard when you know people and you've been through a lot of crap with them, you know, there's a point in time, or a point, I guess you reach, where, uh, you know, no matter what happens between you, you're probably going to find a way to, to stay friends or become friends again. I mean, it has to be pretty bad. You know, afraid to, to, to be permanent. So every time I quit and you know I disappear for a couple of months, and sure enough, I get the phone call: "You want to join the band again? <laughs> we can't find a drummer." So, <clears throat> so every time I did, you know, we record another album. Uh, Miami, we recorded in New York, uh, and we spent we spent tons of time in New York. I mean, we would that was really our base. Uh, L.A. was not our base. We as soon as we were, or Jeff was on the cover of New York Rocker in 81 or 82, um, that just kind of severed our ties in a way with LA. So we found uh, a booking agent there, um, you know, Animal Records, which was Kristani Debra Harry's label, you know, they were based there. And of course, New York was a short hop from there to London. It just made sense to spend a lot more time there, which we did. So uh, we would go there and just stay, go to Boston, Philadelphia, you know, just play all over the place, record, practice. Well, we didn't rehearse much as a band, but...
0: That's the and one advantage. Play. That's the one advantage on the East Coast. The cities are all relatively close together. Um, oh, it's great, yeah. Yeah, you know, Philly, Boston, yeah. Baltimore, like places like that are, are pretty close. Really. Yeah, big
1: cities, you know, and and... We loved playing the 930 Club in Washington DC, that was always a lot of fun, and, uh, and Boston, I mean Boston, they just went nuts, uh, and we, we loved going up there, we played up there a lot. But we played New York, I mean we I, we played Maxwell's in Hoboken, uh, god I don't know, like three times within about six months, yeah. um, but you know it was just fun, it was just fun to do it, and great club, everybody was great. Uh, but. But Peppermint Lounge, The Ritz, Mud Club, Pyramid, oh, God, we played just about everywhere you could play in New York. Uh, and, And we just, I mean, there were times when our shows weren't so great, but that's just who we were. We never knew, we were not a polished act. And our rehearsal schedule reflected that. If we felt like it, we would. If we didn't, we wouldn't rehearse at all. Uh, Because we sort of liked the idea of getting on stage, not knowing what was going to happen. I know Jeff liked that. So sometimes our shows were inspired. They were really good. And sometimes they were just like, you know, 15 song fuck-ups. I mean, it it was just a train wreck. Um, With little moments of fun somewhere in there. but, uh, But we loved being able to do that. Go to all these towns, play... Make a few bucks, you know, come back, stay wherever we stay. We never stayed in hotels, we stayed with people, wherever. Um, mainly, uh, I don't know, it was a big loft in the Lower East Side, we were at a lot. Lord and I stayed at a place in Queens for a little while. You know, we just, we were everywhere. Um, but we love that. I, 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 I definitely enjoyed that whole time, or that whole period. It was. It was really, uh, really fun being in a band at that time.
0: How yeah. did you uh, meet Jeffrey? Like, how did you well, he was, him? like I
1: said, there was uh, in '77 out here, uh, Greg Shaw, who was this uh, music, uh, I guess he started off as a journalist in San Francisco in the 60s, like in the whole hippie heyday. And uh, he had some, he, I guess he had their equivalent of a, like a fanzine. And um, and then it kind of went bigger from there. He had his own independent label, and and uh, he just kind of had his hands in a lot of stuff. Uh, he was here, and he opened up a record store called Bomb Records, and that was the first uh, record store here solely devoted to punk stuff. So this would have been a few months in by the time the British bands and all the New York bands had recorded. And, you know, there were records coming out from everywhere, Devo and... So, um, he had the store, small, it's a vacuum cleaner repair place now, it's really sad, but, um, he had the small store, and every Saturday he would have an autograph party. So the damned, blondie, just whoever, would go up there, if they were in town, and, um, just hang out, you know, for the afternoon, and everybody would go up there, meet him. um, And uh, Blondie had theirs, and I remember I was, it was really crowded, it was a lot of people, and of course it's so small, so I I came outside once, and uh, I was just sitting on the curb smoking a cigarette, and and, uh, this guy just comes over and just kind of starts laughing and talking about Blondie, and, and that was Jeff, and that was the first time that I had met him, and you know, he just, he's like an encyclopedia, just. Uh, you know, just talked and talked and, and then he would get into all this old, obscure, uh, blues and, and pops. It, it, the, the guy was just really kind of, uh, amazingly knowledgeable about rock and roll history. And, um, so it was fun for me just to listen to him blab because I'm like, shit, I'm getting an education here. <clears throat> but he said he was the Blondie fan club president for the West Coast or, you know, whatever. And, um, So that just, you know, so to me, it was like, oh, okay, well, here's another cool guy in the scene, Uh, because during that time, you know, he was just constantly meeting new people as the whole thing sort of grew, and, um, but, uh, you know, we just sort of hung out, I never saw him as anybody who would actually get on a stage, Uh, just didn't seem to have it in him, you know, and then, I don't know maybe a year after that, something, seventy-eight, seventy-nine. he started these little sort of mid-60s garage sounding bands. Um, you know, none of them really went anywhere. But, you know, everybody supported everybody else's effort at the time. I was in the bags. Yeah, yeah, which that, definitely. Which was just a, you know, completely balls to the wall punk rock band. And uh, but they they uh, imploded and fell apart, and uh, Rob, the bass player in the Bags, and I, as a kind of rhythm unit, went around looking for bands, and we just went to uh, the Hong Kong Cafe downtown LA one night because Just Band, the Gun Club, is some new, brand new. I think it was his second show or something, and we didn't give a shit. We didn't we didn't think anything was there, but there was just something fascinating about. Those songs, I mean, they were so raw and rough and uh, crude, but I'm like, "Ah, you know, I don't know what it is, but I just like that stuff. Jeff's really on to (coughs) something. And it so happens that the drummer and the bass player, that was their last show with them. And, you know, they weren't really serious about it anyway. So we talked to Jeff after the show and and joined the band that night and um, started going to rehearsals a couple of weeks later. But,
0: so, you said something earlier that was interesting was um you know you're you're into Prague and like Hendrix and that sort of stuff and uh you know you know when I was growing up I was you know into like Rush and Judas Priest and Led Zeppelin yeah, and Sabbath yeah. and all that and then somewhere along the line there's definitely like that transition point where punk rock kind of makes sense you know what I mean like where yeah you know you kind of go through a a year, you know, several years where you might turn your back on kind of like technical playing and you kind of are into this more sort of emotive, uh, emotionally, you know, dense style of music. But, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, at that time, there really was no precedent. I mean, there was the Ramones, but all this other music was like, this is kind of like the first wave of like punk music. You yeah. Know? And, uh, so a lot of it was like heavily influenced by the blues, especially, you know, specifically, you know, the gun club, there's like a big rockabilly country, you know, blues kind of vibe to the music. And, um, you know, and there, there were other bands around that same time, like X and the blasters and all these other, you Mm -hmm. know, the plugs that were sort of drawn from the same kind of, uh, you know, kind of vibe. And, um, how do you think that sort of, more traditional sound and like the kind of you know novelty, the new the new wave of like this new punk sound, like how did those two styles kind of reconcile at that particular time?
1: Well, the, it's like um, you know you mentioned the Blasters. I mean, they're a perfect example of a band that obviously they really knew their roots. They yeah. know the music. They know the history. And they kind of play it pretty straight ahead, yeah. you know. They're 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 pretty true to that, and uh, they were, you know, they were they're pretty fun to watch. I mean, they were very fun to watch. Uh, a powerful band, but I think what kind of twisted all of our brains with how to how to think about an approach to older music like blues and delta blues. You know, going all the way back to. You know the 1800s railroad songs, and and uh, Jeff would he checked out books, uh, records from the library these these um, Library of Congress uh, slave haulers that somebody had managed to record. I mean it was really late, and they just got people to kind of recollect what they what they said or what they did. But you know that that's the sort of stuff Jeff wanted to go all the way back. You know to the very beginning. And, and he would listen to these things but i think when we all saw the cramps yeah because um, i was there at their first show at the whiskey and you know they had this great approach to older stuff mainly garage in 60s and, and 50s um, and and they they you know they camped it up but but they had their own unique interpretation that was unlike anything that anyone had ever heard and that was kind of I mean, it wasn't conscious, but we sort of had, Jeff in particular, sort of had the same take on the blues. And um, and I think it was really raw. You know, like I said, he wasn't trying to come up with something uh, in in as much as he was just, just letting it come out, whatever it sounded like. Here's the blues. I love this old stuff. I'm just going to play with it, you know, like... Um, I'm going to jump around in this big mud puddle and let's just see what happens. And uh, so it ended up being our twisted take because he didn't come in the rehearsal with completed songs. You know, just were just bare, a couple of chord changes, you know. Right. So everybody created those songs together. And um, Rob, our bass player, was just a... Just a really, really superior musician, just, just really good. I didn't really necessarily have any experience with any of that, but I'd heard a lot of it, and I guess just instinctively, I I, I had a feel for it, because I just enjoyed it. You know, it was just fun to do. and uh, But, it, it, you know, the whole of it was uh, a take that... You know, I know for a fact that we simply... We didn't want to sound like anybody else. Uh, we really couldn't with Jeff's interpretation of this stuff. But we separated ourselves from a lot of those bands that considered themselves purists, you know, or we're still holding the flag, you know, for this to this tradition. And Jeff was completely opposed to that. He took the flag and burned it. Um, and we were all totally in with him on that. <laughs> Burn it. We don't give a shit. And we didn't care if those people liked us, hated us, um, because this was just... You know, it was just a thing we were doing that we figured in six months was going to be over with, and no one was ever going to think about it again. So, you know, we we so we just didn't care. We felt like we got nothing to lose. So we'll, we'll, we'll just you know, kick it down the road and, I don't know, see if it see if it rolls. <laughs> so, um, so we didn't really think too much about, you know, until later, until we had, like, an album's worth of songs, you know, okay, well, you know, we, we just don't sound like anybody else. And that was a little scary for me because I thought, ah, shit, man, we're, how are we going to find an audience for this stuff? Is anybody going to like it? You know, and slowly but surely they did, but, um, you know, at the time, especially in LA, it was tough. It was really hard. We we never we never had a single sold out show anywhere here. Um, I don't think we ever did, even after all the records came out. You know, it's that hometown thing. They don't give a oh, shit. Yeah. But we went everywhere else. It was completely different. Um, but uh, we we just like the Cramps take on things. We did a lot of shows with them. I played with the Cramps for a little while. Recorded. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we were just simpatico, you know? We were all in the same black train, as we used to call gun club. Um, and uh, so I think it just kind of, it just, it just sort of created its own unique footprint. And whatever it was, you know, we just lived with it. Jeff was constantly reinventing it, but, um, or trying to, But we were very happy that we were not lumped in with anybody else and didn't sound like anybody else. And, uh, you know, Billy Idol came backstage to, um, this was probably 82. Yeah, it would have been 82. Uh, We played somewhere in New York. I wish I could remember. It might have been Dance Seteria. No, it wasn't Dan Seteria. Anyway somewhere, we played, Billy Idol came back with his wife, I was the only one backstage, and he, he was like, oh, this is good, we wanted to talk to you, oh, wow. he asked me to join his band, and he said, do you like playing with Gun Club, I said, yeah, I like playing with Gun Club. he said, well, we're getting some people together, and you know, I've written some songs, and um, we've got this, you know, album that's going to come out, and uh, you know, because Billy Idol actually, you know, he really liked American Roots music, and he knew it pretty well, and so he dug that aspect of it. But I just thought, oh, God, you know, he had that song, uh, Dancing With Myself, which was kind of a minor hit, I guess. And I just thought, oh, I don't know, you know, Gun Club is never going to be top 40, but it's just so different and unique. I I, I don't know if I can stop. You know, I I, I like it for the music. And then, uh, so I said, you know, I can't, I can't do it, man. I, I, I got to... I gotta stick with my people here. And um, Yeah, he said, All right, and I said, So, you know, what's the album gonna be? He said, Well, we're gonna call it White Wedding. And uh <laughs> he said, and I'm like, Okay, whatever, White Wedding, who cares? You know, who knew? I mean, I had no idea. I'm like, shit. I think it goes the condo, you know, and the rain, <laughs>
0: <right>? <laughs> but Have you ever heard the uh, the Roland Howard cover of that song? No, yeah, Roland, no. Roland Howard covers uh, he covered White Wedding, um oh. yeah, a few years back, was...
1: and I, that would be interesting. I, yeah. I've really been into covers lately, I've just been kind of amazed at all the bands, especially uh, young bands that have covered film club songs uh, over the years. It's just uh, you know, tons of them. A few weeks ago, I just went on YouTube and said, All right, I'm gonna look at every version of everything, and it just kept going on and on, you know. And, I just love that. I mean, I just, it just we had, we had no idea anything like that would, you know, ever happen. We recorded that first album, you know, it cost $2,000 at the time. And we just thought, you know, okay, we made our statement. All right, bye. You know, we're done. Let's go find a real band. And um, just amazing how things like that work. It just kind of take off. And, you know, never huge, but enough for us to, to really go with it and enjoy enjoy going with
0: it. I just uh, saw Kid Congo Powers um, a couple uh, about a month ago, I think, down in Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. it was a pretty cool show. He did a couple of Gun Club songs. Uh, she's yeah. like she's like heroin to me, and uh, for the love of Ivy, um, you know, old song, you know, from that first record. Uh, pretty awesome. Just got a chance to meet him, say hi, get a photo. Really cool guy.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Kid was great. He was there in the beginning. He was he was like a founding. Him and Jeff started the band. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, kid, and you know, he joined the Cramps, of course, and, yeah. and left us. And we were we were pretty shocked, you know. we were like, oh my god, he's going to join the Cramps, you know. We were very happy for him. And then, um, as happened with the Cramps, nobody stayed with him for too long. And then, sure enough, you know, uh, Ward had quit Gun Club and it was kind of perfect timing. So, you know, Kid just came right back and um, he was in the band. Now, it was um, that was one of the, that right at that same time is when I quit the band. I think it was for the second time, maybe the first. But Jim Duckworth, uh, the Panther Burns, Some stuff. He was really, really super good guitar player. And um, he had joined, and I didn't get, we just had a little bit of uh, playing time with Jim before a tour was booked for Australia. And um, we, it was me, Patricia, uh, again, of course, Rob Lawson's left, and uh, Jim, (coughs) and we were in San Francisco. And we, it turns out, I, I can't remember exactly, we missed the flight or something. We had to wait 10 hours oh, for the next man. flight to Australia. And that, there in this and that flight in to flight. Australia
0: is no joke, man. That's like... Yeah, and, it, you know, and you're know, and you looking at a
1: 20-odd hour flight, you know. And it just so happened that night, Jeff is being just the, the biggest ogre, you know, just, just a jerk. And we, and Jim and I were just... We were a little tipsy, had a few beers, and, uh, and we're just sitting at this airport. It was empty. You know, at the time, there were no security. There was nothing. You could just do anything in an airport you wanted all night long. And um, we're sitting there, and Jeff, you know, is just being an asshole. He's not talking. And, and you know, we're like, are we going to get on that plane and fly, I don't know how many hours, to Australia for 10 days, Uh, and put up with this guy? I I don't know. I don't know if I can do it, Jim. And he's like, I don't know if I can do it either. (laughs) And uh, so finally, you know, about an hour before it's supposed to leave, after we're just passed out feeling like shit, Jeff just gets up and says, well, I'm getting on the plane. If you want to go to Australia, you can get on the plane too. And and Jim and I were immediately, fuck you. I'm not getting on that plane. I don't care if it's going. I don't care where it's going. It It could go to Barstow. It could... It could go. I don't care. We're not doing it. Patricia came over and talked to us, and and she was really torn, you know. What should I do? And, you know, we said, look, Patricia, just go. Just go to Australia. He'll find some people. But Jim and I are jumping off this this ship right now. And uh, I know it sucks, but that's the way it goes. When you're an asshole, you know, like Jeff is, then... um, you might, you might expect a little bounce back, you know, that, in kind. And so she got on the plane, and she was laughing, felt kind of bad. And Joe and I looked at each other and said, where's that car rental counter? So we went over, rented the car, and drove back to L.A. that night. And um, <clears throat> the plane didn't end up leaving until, I don't know what it was, 11 or 12 or something. And, um, and sure enough, he found a pickup band. You know, and they managed to do the tour, but that's when Kid rejoined the band. Um, he had been out of the Cramps for a little while, and it, boom, they got him. He flew out. You know, they managed to make it work. And then, of course, again, I get the call after they come back. You know, we need a drummer. Can you join? Um, but um, you know, it just—it was just sort of like that occasionally with that. With that band, it was uh, uh, a lot of great fun and, and a lot of just kind of, you know, really hard to uh, to to you know put your boots on and and spend another another day with him. He he could be difficult, and, and at the time, his addictions were growing pretty bad. Uh, I never knew too much. I'd seen him drink, and I, he he could drink a frightening amount of alcohol. I, I've never known anyone that could drink like that and uh, you know I mean I'm around people that drink and take drugs all the time at that time and so I'm just like well you know everybody deals with their shit the way they have to deal with it it's you know uh, I, I I help I've helped people in certain situations but you know what can you do a- at the time it, it wasn't like a knee jerk to send someone to rehab or automa- or even think of rehab you just like, you know, keep it under the control and finish the tour. Um, you know, don't fuck everything up with your with your habits. And um, <clears throat> I never really had any, but, you know, if Jeff had just kind of came over and talked to me one time and talked about it and owned up to it a little bit, I would have done everything I could to help him. But he just, he never, he just wasn't the kind of guy to do that. And he was amazing. He was impressive at the same time because... I never saw him really screw up on stage. He could go off on tangents in the middle of "Ivy," or preachin' blues. You know, those songs had all kinds of room for him to ad lib all over the place. But we always knew where to come back in. And but he never forgot. He he just I never saw him forget where he was at. Even though I sometimes I thought he was dead. He he just lay there on the stage. I'm like somebody needs to. You know, kick this guy. Is he alive? Uh Yes, very much alive, and knew exactly what he was doing. He was just sort of, you know, drawing in it, drawing blood out of out of the audience, and um, but uh, it, it just you know, it was a roller coaster like that. I mean, fun. Now I think about it, and and uh, I, I, I I just I just think of it as been, you know, it's nothing but fun. So. Um, I still want to ring Jeff's neck occasionally, but yeah, the, <laughs> we never got a single royalty from anything that we ever did.
0: You know, uh, that seems to be a common thread uh, the more I talk to people from, uh, <laughs> you know, independent yeah. labels and never getting paid and that sort of thing, you know. I uh, well, uh, Yeah, no, you,
1: you don't. Um, yeah, the music business was, oh, my God, people were just ripped off all the time very difficult to keep track of it and uh all you're worried about is you know how long is this going to last and you know you would make some cash at live shows back then it wasn't much but um uh, it was enough um and um you know you just don't you, you just assume you know which is the worst thing you can do is assume that your record company is going to be honest but you would never think your lead singer is not going to be honest. And, um, uh, he definitely, uh, uh, was not, unfortunately, but that's just the fact, you know, it's just the way it is. And, uh, that's the only thing that's a little difficult for Ward and I, uh, Ward now lives in the Philippines, but, um, but, you know, we, we have talked about it every now and then and tried to see if there's a way we could, um, do something about it, but ultimately we're just like, ah, who cares? Just let it go.
0: Yeah, I'm about halfway through uh, this uh, book about the replacements called Trouble Boys, and uh, a lot of the same stuff you're talking about is in seems to be in that book, like you know, getting people yeah, from just, Twin Tones. It just lends itself to
1: that, you know. It's 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 tough, and in the music business, if you if you don't write the songs, then you're you're vulnerable, and um, it's up to You know, certain bands have a kind of I think R.E.M. always had all their songs were written by the band um, you know so that everybody could share in it legally contractually you know but um, even though we all created those songs in Gun Club uh, equally you know it was all Jeff's thing so that's where the royalties went they go to him and then his job according to the contract was to pay the band their percentage whatever and so, you know, you're dependent on that person. And it's just sad that uh, all too often they uh, won't uh, do that. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of examples where they do. But, um, yeah, write those songs. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> that would be my advice to somebody. I want to be in a band. Well, write the songs. then, <laughs> Or write some songs. Just, just write something.
0: <clears throat> so um, I want to get back to the book again. Um, is there? Do you have a title, release date, and that sort of stuff figured out?
1: Yeah, it's called uh, "Punk Like Me." Liner notes for a revolution that never happened. So it's sort of a title and then a subtitle. Right. And uh, the whole book, the whole tone of it, you know, is the scene out here was really more about laughing and joking and having fun than anything else. Uh, and and I met some incredibly funny people. I mean, they could have been stand-up comedians. I I don't know what happened. I love comedy. I've always kind of been um, a big fan of stand-up all my life, ever since I was a kid. And uh, so I thought, you know, so my tone with this book has to kind of reflect that. And uh, I'm not making any big statements or anything. I just wanted to entertain people. Actually, the person I really wrote it for, other than... Me, because really you can only do it for yourself. Ultimately, is you know that person in a garage somewhere in the Midwest, who is not where things are happening. Of course, these days it's quite a bit different. But um, you know, I'm like I was that guy once, and I'm writing this to you uh, to like keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up. Believe in it. Make your art. Make it happen. Don't worry that there's no one else that gives a shit around you. Just Keep doing it. And um, so aside from that sort of uh, uh, little preachy moment, the whole thing is just kind of funny in the tone. It's, it's, uh, you know, like I said, all of my mistakes, fuck-ups. Every girl that I had sex with on the road is in that book. All right. Uh, Yes. And you know why? I'm like, well, I can't just, like, describe I met her, it was four in the morning, I was drunk, I fucked her on the couch, and then I rolled in and went to sleep. Okay, that's not entertaining. <laughs> that's not. There's nothing fun about that. Not even for me. But, um, And I was there. <laughs> but um, for some reason, it seemed like, I don't know if it was just the time, because we were sort of blazing trails, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Going
1: out in the early 80s and... College radio was the only thing, you know, in college towns, of course, but there's one rock and roll club, and um, we'd go into town. Sometimes we'd stay at a hotel. Sometimes we'd stay with friends. They were always asking, you know, after the show, come on, we're having a party. The party goes, you end up crashing, you know, but when you're on tour, you, you've got to be a little, a little tighter than that. You know, you've got to get up and drive 400 miles a night day, Yeah. Or whatever it is. And so it just seemed like you know I thought about like every time you know some woman would come up to me oh hi I have a fanzine or you know I write for the college newspaper you guys are great what are you doing (laughs) after you know it seemed like every time something ridiculous absurd or funny seemed to happen and I'm like god this is I tell you this is not rock star indulgence I'll tell you It's, it's it's just comedy it's sketch comedy. So I I had to do it. I, I had to just, you know, I changed some names. I felt I felt like I have to do that. I can't I, I just I don't know where some of these people are, you know? Exactly. Um, so I and I'm like, why why write a book like that that's got funny stuff like that in it or, or things that happen? Why not put that in there too? Why why what's wrong with that? Uh, and because I've read bios before and, and you know they just sort of mention it or talk about this person or that, and I'm like, that's so dull. I want to have fun with this. So that's what I did. So all the Gun Club tours, it wasn't a lot, I'll tell you, but um, Gun Club wasn't Duran Duran, you know, we weren't chick magnets, but, um, but it's all, you know, all that kind of stuff is in there, just, just uh, details, goofy stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to bash my head against the wall. And, and uh, you know, it, I, I, I wasn't driven by uh, anger, even though I've had anger management issues. You know, that's how it drove me. It's uh, it's just kind of, you know, an arm's length with everything that I was doing. So I could sort of observe and, and uh, laugh at it and... and uh, uh, comment on it, uh, and 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 be a part of it, but yet sort of be separated at the same time. So, you know, that's what I wanted the the book to be. And 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 there's a few. There's definitely some moments where I fucked up. You know, I just did some um, uh, stupid things. I got someone pregnant in L.A. before before I was happened. Before I was in Gun Club, right? And uh, you know, at the time, you could get an abortion. Um, And no one would know, and uh, no one had to know, you know, you just walk in, you get it, you're done. And she, I didn't know she was pregnant, she came up to me one day and, and of course, said she was pregnant. And she had been thinking about an abortion. Well, Greg Shaw at Bob Records had asked me if I wanted to go up to San Francisco with him and his wife. They were going to drive their Mercedes. Uh, up there to see the Weirdos, the, this local one of yeah. my favorite local punk bands in sure. LA, and um, the Weirdos were playing. And he was thinking about signing, you know. And I said, uh, you know, that's uh, that's great. When are you going? He said, Well, we're going Saturday. So this is about two days and uh, before that show, and Don and I and so I was asking Don, "You want to go up there?" She said, "No, I'm pregnant. I'm going to get an abortion." I said, oh, when is it? She said, it's Saturday. Oh. And uh, I'm like, well, fuck. That's the weirdo show. You're going to (laughs) go abort our child? Um, When the weirdos are fucking playing San Francisco, what am I supposed to do? You know? So, what did I do? I went to San Francisco with Greg. And she went to the clinic by herself. And I knew I was like the biggest asshole in the world for doing that. But that's what I did. And I thought, you know, later. Years later, I tell her how much more courage she had than I did, you know. And, of course, I'm still friends with her all this time. i friends with her for 35 years. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we did have a quick discussion. you want to have this? No. Should I have it? No. Okay, done. Um, I kind of wish, you know, maybe it had happened by now. But, <clears throat> but uh, you know, any of that kind of stuff where I was just, you know, a stupid or, uh, you know, a coward, whatever it was, I'm like, I can't cover that up. I, I can't. I, 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 It's just got to be there, you know, because that's, that's what happened. So I make sure that all that kind of stuff is in there, too, although that was the only instance like that. But, uh, you know, we all fuck up. We all do things we shouldn't do. That's how you learn. And, uh, um, you know, so that's why I wanted to do the book First Person – and uh, write as it happened. Uh, it's not a diary, I didn't keep a diary or anything, or uh, I, I was too busy living it, you know, I couldn't write it down. But um, uh, I just wanted to make sure it had all of that kind of stuff, and every band that I saw just about, and, um, all the other sex that I had you know, in like... LA, <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I mean, that's. That whole thing is what kind of makes it relatable, you know. It's like when you have all the mistakes and fuck ups and all that, you know, yeah, weird shit that I'm, happens. I, yeah, you can relate to it easier that way.
1: You know, I've stepped in shit plenty of times, and we all have. And sometimes it, you know, it's um, um, it's bad, but you know that's why I am I'm, I'm tolerant. Uh, I have been for a long time. People people do fuck up. And they fuck up again, and they'll fuck up again, and maybe even again and again. But you've just got to kind of stick with them sometime, even if it seems impossible. Uh, I mean, if they end up, you know, uh, I don't know, jumping off a cliff somewhere, that's uh, that's one thing, and, and that's, that's almost happened a couple of cases, thank goodness it didn't, with people that I've known for a long time. But I've known many, many people who died from drug overdoses, and you know, Rob Ritter died, uh, I don't know how many drugs that he was taking at the end. He was heroin addict for a long time. He died in a van, parked on a Manhattan street uh, while the band was in there rehearsing or sound-checking or something. You know, and it's just such, a, such an end for an amazing guy, you know. Brilliant musician, really smart. He had a, he was a strange guy. Uh, but um, you know it's sad. it's just too bad, you know you don't want it to happen and, and uh, you know so i i've I've, tr- I've just tried uh, to be there for people and and uh, certainly hear them out, and I don't judge anybody for anything uh, there's a there might be a few things uh, you know Donald Trump's hairdo. do I, I I got a problem with that. That's the worst, man. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I might not be able to deal with that but <laughs> you know but everything else you know people that have struggled and tried and and uh, they, they, you know they've wanted to be unique and and express themselves and and put so much effort and energy into their art or trying trying to find it you know those those people are like my family because uh, I understand what that is you know in the face of a culture that uh, even at, even in 2016 to me it feels very similar that it it, it always has you know you you've got this momentum from from most culture from mass culture however it's defined from year to year and that momentum is decidedly against people who want to be unique and take a stand and and uh, it's e- it's it's easier in some ways now but because there's so many ways to do it now, it actually makes it more difficult uh, in a lot of ways. Because where do people focus? Where do you where do you find it? Where do you stand? You know, there's a million choices. But but still, it's the same struggles, you know. Um, the the uh, you know the money momentum and believe me, I love money. I like money. You know? I need money. We all need money. That's the way. That's what we live in. We can't help it. But that momentum can really be like a steamroller and crush, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people who otherwise deserve to be heard. Uh, what, no, no matter what they're doing, you know, whatever it is. So that's just, you know, and I don't care what somebody, you know, people, you can be anything. But if you're if you're just trying to uh, really hard to be something uh, that's important to you and and it means something and you've given it some thought. You know, that's just—you know—those are people that I just feel like I'm automatically connected to. Um, sorry, my my bulldog isn't here. Oh, that's trying cool. I'm, nah. I'm surprised he hasn't barked. It's
0: I've totally fine. I've had a lot of bulldogs,
1: um, <laughs> and this one is—he's—he's—he's uh, he's, uh, he's a pretty aggressive little dog. I like him. <laughs> but otherwise. Uh, yeah, the uh, so the book, you know, I, I joke to myself, and it's not even funny, but it was, you know, 30 days in the writing, 10 years in the printing, uh, because I, I, I can't seem to, uh, I've had so many people that have uh, come on board to help me lay it out, you know, and do all this stuff uh, to uh, make it look pretty, and oh, they get another job, or, oh, I don't know, they just disappear, or, you know, whatever it is. It's just been, it's driven me insane. So I've kind of scaled back on what I wanted it to look like at first, and I've got a really nice kind of clean uh, look to it now. It's not, I've got a lot of imagery. I've got a lot of photographs and graphics, but... um, I've just got them very cleanly laid out. It's not quite finished with that. And, uh, you know, it's a book I wanted people to read. Uh, they, they may hate what I read, what I wrote. Uh, they may think it sucks. I don't know. But I just figured that that's the only way to do it. You know, I'm going to have to walk that plank and just <laughs> let them decide. But um, it just looks better that way, keeps the focus where it should be. And I have some great photographs that, you know, I post a lot of stuff on Facebook, but those are the things I can't use for the book. Um, uh, I once had 1,200 images, you know, and I had to scale that down to about 100. Wow. uh, Just in the interest of costs and and all that, but I've been trying, we're trying to get the book, we don't want to, we don't want to ship it to China, we want to get it all done locally. Oh, that sounds uh, good. We've got a bunch of really cool uh, graphics and stuff. I think we're going to put on some clothes and, and uh, and and uh, again, keep all that local. And, uh, you know, it, it's just going to be fun. I mean, it's all stuff that, for me, has got to be... It's got to have some level of integrity somehow. Uh, either it's funny or it makes a point or it makes you throw up, I don't know. But, you know... At least it's effective. Um, so I'm shooting right now. Uh, it looks like the end of August. It should finally go to the printer. Oh, no, it's right around the corner. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, where we're, the manuscript is done. I've gone over it so many times. I, I, I hate the thing. And, um, um, you know, there's a, there's, there's a couple of last-minute photographs that, that I need to get. That's easy, though. It's just placing, you know, almost all the photographs get the own page. It's like one photograph, one page. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, we've just, we just, we, we are we are almost there to get it out. And uh, like I said, I just, you know, if people have fun with it, if they laugh reading it, if anything makes them laugh, man, my job is done. I'm just like, thank you. And that would make me, I'm not going to make a dime off that book. I don't care. It's just uh, really going to be fun if somebody else has fun with it, you know, and likes uh, part of it. Because I I try to be as honest. Well, I was honest. <laughs> I might have been too honest. Um, and um, you know, but that like you said, that, that that's if you're going to read something, you I think I owe the reader that I I owe them. Uh, you know, whatever happened, whatever I was doing, whether it was good or bad, you know, I, I, I have to be as authentic as I can. Uh, and um, that's no problem for me. I, I, I like doing that. It's, you know, uh, I'm sure there's going to be somebody to post on Facebook, you got the year wrong in three different places. And I just think that sucks. Oh,
0: yeah, man. There's always going to be somebody to point things yeah. like that out. Um, that was
1: Thursday, not Wednesday. You dumbass.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the um. So is this going to be? You know, can you get it on Amazon? Is there like a website you yeah. go to to pre-order it or anything like that?
1: Uh, at this point, no. But it will be uh, definitely be on Amazon. Uh, I was just talking to uh, uh, the guy that's publishing it. Is um, uh, he, he calls himself Long Gone John. He's Long. Yeah. you? Um, yeah. I know who that is. Well, actually, for people who don't know who that is, can you tell
0: us who that is?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say he's um he he was he's from out here. He was a very early supporter of Gun Club. He um, he was a a collector uh, early on. He started an independent label, and he basically he would he had a knack for signing bands like Nirvana right before they signed to these huge labels, and he would make. Quite a bit of money uh, selling the contracts, you know. I mean, he wasn't trying to do that; it just kind of kind of worked out like that. And um, he put out a lot of uh, a, a ton of stuff, and and so he would uh, collect and buy all kinds of art, uh, original stuff, collectibles of every kind from the 20th century, uh, uh, lowbrow art. This guy has like a museum's worth of originals from every name you can think of. And um, so, you know, he, he made some bucks. And um, huge Gun Club fan. In fact, his license plate here in California said Gun Club. And he was the only one that had Gun Club without any numbers on it. And he... He, uh, he got it stolen so many times that he said he finally had to take it off the car. But he, uh, he renewed it and has renewed it every year since. I think he's had it 36 years or something, 34 years. But um, he's done some gun club things. He actually re-released uh, Miami, uh, um, Las Vegas Story. His uh, label is Sympathy. Uh, sympathy for the Record Industry was the full name. And he also has a press, uh, an imprint known as Sympathy. And he just published a really nice, huge book of photographs by a photographer named David Arnoff. Really nice early uh, punk uh, stuff from London, New York, Los Angeles. So he and I have had an agreement for a long time to do this book. And uh, I know John will make sure it's really good quality, full color, uh, you know, everything. Hardcover. Um, he's also probably why I won't make a dime, but um, <laughs> you know that's okay. Uh, I, I don't. I just don't care. Put the money into the book so that people have something that they can feel like you know this is cool. This I've got something here. You know that that that, that that's everything for me right there. So uh, anyway, I, I forgot what the original question was. Um, oh, just like where you could buy it, pre-orders, like that yeah. Sort of so stuff. yeah, we were actually just talking about Amazon yeah. and, and getting that. So we're we're he's getting the ball rolling right now, uh, getting that stuff figured out. I don't really know anything about it, and uh, I'm thinking. Um, uh, well, I could uh, find out any time, but I'm assuming probably mid to late July, I'll finally get uh, that information. Uh, for every place that it's going to be available now, I have a website, a punk like me. Uh, it's not dot com. It's punklikeme.xyz. It's not up yet, but I'm also going to make an e-book version available for download there, and uh, it'll be the same thing. I'll have all the graphics, everything. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm thinking probably it's going to take till the end of July before. That information is uh, up. But whatever it is, my Facebook page, which is just Terry James Graham, um, that will, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll post, I, I post things on there as soon as I find out anything. I've got a book page and a personal page, but the book page is sort of, I don't know, I, it doesn't get much love. But <clears throat> so hopefully the end of August I will... I'll see, some, I'll see some books, and then, uh, like I said, if, if we can get it done here in the States, then it really, really will be helpful. If this stupid thing goes to China, which I've already told him, that, that there's a time lag. It's about two months that I have to wait, uh, because they're, they're, their jobs are so stacked up, you know, that there's just a lot of wait time. Right. And then, of course, they have to be shipped back, and, and all that, but I'm pretty I'm pretty confident it's all gonna happen here. We're in negotiations right now to make that happen. So so the,
0: no. so the best way for people to you know find out about news is just to go to your your Facebook page and you'll have regular. At this point,
1: that's that's pretty much it. Okay. Yes. I, I don't I don't really have any other um I, I've just kind of focused it there because I've posted so many other stuff from that time period and just kind of kept it kept it around that little Facebook campfire uh... but uh... the, the uh... The pages my pages is uh... public so uh... but like i said terry james graham that's where it's all gonna uh... I'll, I'll, I'll keep the regular updates at least for the moment there and then when it goes wide or wider uh... you know i'll start figuring out some other ways to to uh, get the word out because I, I'm kind of really looking forward to just doing readings for people. I, I, that would, that'll really be fun, I think. And uh, I'm going to have a huge party here. I'm going to start a band. I've already talked to a few people. Um, we're, we're just going to play a bunch of songs. We, we want to pick out like 15 or 16 songs from the past 50 years, of course, which is an impossible task that uh, were really fun, that really influenced us and just kind of have a show and, um, you know, just let people go nuts. And before the cops go, you know, I'll get in my car and leave. But um, Inevitably, the cops will show up, and I'll just make sure I'm not there. (laughs) Glad everyone had fun at my party. Um, But, uh, yeah, that's the whole idea. I mean, for me, it's just now, you know, uh, I've managed to survive for a long time, and I just want people to have fun, I just want people to enjoy it, and uh, all I ever do is just try to encourage people to, um, you know, just 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 stick with whatever you're doing, and if you, you need to do something else, figure out how to do that, and just don't give up on it, I mean, the world could be kind of insane, and I think the future might be a little scary, but that's all we've got, you know, and... Um, for me, I'm, I, I, my bottom line is whatever decision I make, artistically or whatever it is, uh, you know, or, 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 or this book, especially, is, can I sleep with that, you know, I, I and I don't mean it in a sexual way, but every sentence in that book, I read it, I'm like, can I go to sleep satisfied with that line? You know, is that fun? Is it okay? May may not be the uh, the best thing ever written. In fact, I'm sure it's not. But is it something that I can go to sleep and like say, mm, you know, somebody will probably have fun with that, even if they don't. Am I okay with it? And um, so I just try to, you know, I just try to peg everything to that. And uh, if 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 people are enjoying this stuff, then shit. I don't know. I don't know what else I could. Uh, what else I could ask for? All the people that I've met throughout all this stuff, wherever it is I've met them, that's the stuff you take with you. That's the stuff I remember. I, the money I spent, shit, I don't know what that is. What, you know, it wasn't much, but what did I buy? I don't know, who cares? <laughs> but, uh, you know, that one guy that said, oh man, you're like the best drummer I ever saw, and only one person ever said that. But, you know, I still remember that. <laughs> you know, I can take that with me. Um, uh, that's what's great about it. So anyway, I got to go chase some teenagers off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, lawn,
0: so. I just sent you a uh, friend request on Facebook. And uh, so I'll repost any information that comes
1: along the line. And uh, Oh, cool. You know, oh, whatever, perfect. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's, uh I, I don't know what John's going to price it at. I, I've had a lot of arguments with him. I said, you keep this thing cheap, man. He said, well, it's going to cost so much. To, I'm like, I know that. I know, but. It's not a goddamn collector's item. I want it to be a book that people read, uh, you know, and and, and and I don't want it to be precious. Uh, put it in the bathroom, you know, and to me, that's the best place for this book. Stick it right by the toilet. Just open it up at any place and start reading. It's perfect. <laughs> you know, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. It's the best place for this book. So just don't try and flush it.
0: I kind of feel like people aren't afraid to drop a little money on books these days. It seems, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff out these days and, you know, some of them are hard covers and I, I think, well, cause they do a great job. Yeah. I think they do a
1: really great job these days on stuff like that. A lot of things get attention that, uh, they didn't used to get. And, and I, I, I love that. I mean, I'm, you know, I go in the bookstore and there's, it's just amazing books, you know, that. Physical books with pages that that I still think are they may be artifacts now, but that's precisely why I like them and 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 like having them. I fucking hate moving them from place to place, but yeah. um, they're beautiful and they really. It's just so many talented designers and you know people that can make this stuff look good now. Um, so I think it's. I mean, you're right. It, it, that's the case, but. There's also an amazing amount of just impressive, beautiful product out there, whether it's vinyl or books or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, they're never going to go away because we like to hold things.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, But I love ebooks too. I mean, I've got lots of them. I haven't haven't ever actually read an ebook. You know what I mean? Like I have a couple of things on my phone, you know, that I try to like here and there, like I'm waiting for someone and it just kind of. Check it out, but anything that I want to read, I I usually just buy the actual book. Yeah, just get the book. It's
1: it's there's an experience there, you know, there's a tactile kind of connection with that, uh, with you know me and this other physical thing. That's kind of an amazing uh, connection, and that, and I think no matter what is otherwise available to us, I, I just think is as, as humans is as animals you know we, we like that connection
0: yeah i was just going to mention that as uh, as
1: hunter-gatherers
0: i think that we need yeah, that we, we want it
1: i oh, want to hold it yeah you know i want to feel the axe in my hand and <laughs> yeah, you know um uh, especially you know when the tax guy knocks on the door i want to feel the axe in my hand <laughs> I want to... uh, or, or the the landlord whoever um but um yeah so and, and, and it like i said it, so it just so happens that, you know we're never going to lose that, but these days there's just some beautiful stuff, amazing stuff uh, that, that that is coming out. It's it's funny. It's, you don't take it for granted anymore, and so suddenly the effort, um, the artistic, the artistry re- really pours into it. Um, whereas you know just 20 years ago, it's just like banging them out. You know, beautiful stuff came out, but it was more the exception. <laughs> And I just see a lot of, a lot of great stuff now. Yeah, especially like it seems like
0: that era too. Like there's, there's been some pretty cool stuff that's came out in the last like ten years. I think about um, kind there of. There it has. It's getting its due. You know. I mean, yeah. maybe it'll get overdone. I know
1: John Doe just had a book that uh, came out. Um, uh, uh, you know, and that was the other thing actually. You know, getting back to my friend in New York, she, um, you know. She didn't want to read about a scene. She so wanted my experience? Well, that was one of my thoughts, was that, well, of course, she's right. Because I have my story. Everybody else in that thing has their own unique story. We might have been at the whiskey together on many occasions, but I didn't go home with them. They didn't go home with me. And God only knows what happened after they left the club. And uh, they've got their thing. Um, and so those things... You're right. They've been coming out. I don't know what's in the pipeline. Um, I know that uh, there's someone I know that was at the center of that scene the whole time, her name is Trudy. She kept a diary through that entire period, and, and that's not been published, and I would love to kind of take that up with her and uh, see if there's some way that could come out. But, you know, they're, they're, they're interesting stories, and it's getting its due, and and, uh, and I'm glad I'll, I'll have to get John's book. Yeah, I want to read that one,
0: too, actually. Um, but the thing that's interesting, and I think the operative, is that it's a it's a personal perspective on something that has, like, you know, pretty much, an, you know, a multifaceted viewpoint on that one particular era. Yeah, right. You know, like like I just, like I said, I'm halfway through this replacements book, uh, Trouble Boys, and uh-huh. it's... Um, it's kind of like more uh, of an objective, you know, history. It's almost like reading a textbook about the replacements, you know? Yeah, right. But I really would rather read, you know, Tommy Stinson's version of what happened and then Mm, Paul Westerberg's version. Yeah, exactly. Because it just seems like it's more more subjective. And I think, you know, stuff like music and art, like you actually want the subjective take on that as opposed to the textbook
1: version of it. you want to know how far, you know, where where was somebody's guts? Where was their heart? Where was their dick? Where was their brain? You know, where, where how far in did it go? How, yeah. wh- where, was, where were your boundaries? You know, where, wh- what did you cross? Uh, what risk did you take? Um, you know, and, and, uh, I agree 100% that it's, it's like, you, you, you can read these summaries almost of things that happened but um, what do you take away from that? And um, so, gosh, I don't know. It's making me—it's making me scared now. Thinking, oh,
0: man. I don't know. That's good. <laughs> Being scared is good. Being uncomfortable is like yeah. the best
1: thing. Right. Oh, I am. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, mine is definitely not a summary. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 true, and, and you know. I mean, I had to. God, it's one of the reasons it's taken so long. It's because I'm constantly rewriting the damn thing to, you know, sort of be more in line with uh, with that. With what you were just saying about about uh, you got to leave a little blood on the page. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you don't, because you know, it's just to ask yourself: Do you like reading that? No, you don't want to read. I mean, do you like reading a? Something that's that's a little bit bland that just kind of tells you what happened at 4 a.m. We went to this the corner of Hollywood and Vine and we stood there like an idiot and waited for the light to change. You know, um, I don't care. Um, tell me that you stood there at Hollywood and Vine and you you ran across the street while the traffic was coming. Tell me you did that. You know, that's that's more fun if you if you did that. Um, and I have done that, but um, I I don't know if you don't if you don't if you don't put something out there if you don't dare to embarrass yourself, then um, I don't want to say a person has failed because maybe for them at that moment in time or that time period that's as far as they can go, but it might be more satisfying. Uh, when someone is willing, you know, when you read or experience something where you're getting the sense that they're, they're you know, they're putting it out there, they're giving it to you and there's no filters. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I guess that makes art. I don't know, maybe, maybe Michelangelo stared up at the ceiling and said, God, that's a fucking huge ceiling. I don't know. How am i am going to, you know, I guess I'll do it. I'll crank it out because I need the money. But But, you know, at some point, he had to have really felt what he was doing. He, it, it, it had to have taken something out of him to uh, climb up on ladders and paint the chap, the ceiling. <clears throat> you know, so he left some blood on the ceiling. He probably literally.
0: Did, yeah, but. I would think so.
1: Um, but yeah, that's what. And I, and again, it just for me, it gets back to. I always felt like you. I owe that. If somebody's gonna, re, if I'm gonna be. You know, cheeky enough to ask someone to read something I've written. For me, I feel like I I have to honor that and say, well, this is going to be worth your time. I've tried to make it worth your time. I've entertained myself because that's all I can do when I'm sitting there writing alone, but I've really genuinely tried to entertain myself. I'm like, that line is boring, it's dull. Here's a better way to do it because it's just better. And so, hence, somebody reading it uh, will probably agree with me. You know, of course, they wouldn't see the old crappy line; they'd see the new one. But, but I feel like, you know, I owe it. And every time I played drums in Gun Club, regardless of Jeff, Jeff's condition, like I said, he was always he was always on it on stage. Um, but I always tried to give people, you know, something that made them feel like this was worth coming to see. Uh, You know, no matter what, Ward was like that too. He's, you know, essentially, we're in a band, but we're just kind of communicating um, alone between me and the audience. I'm going to play my drums, I'm going to sweat like a pig, and I may, in fact, hit my finger on the side of this tom-tom again and split it open again. And then you'll get to see, you really will get to see blood. Um, Jeff did that one time in San Francisco. He took a beer bottle, threw it up, up, straight up, and it hit the light uh, grid up there and shattered, of course. The glass came down on me.
0: Came on you, huh? The, the yeah, during the song.
1: On. And one of the pieces hit me on the uh, like on the right knuckle, middle finger. It just hit it just perfectly to cut it, but I'm playing the song, and I, you know, you don't, I didn't really, you know, I mean, I'm looking at Jeff, like I'm going to kill you, after the show, you fucker, you threw that bottle up, like that, It's like, what a dumbass, and, and uh, so, I didn't even realize, you know, while I'm staring at Jeff, like, don't you even think of doing that again, you know, that the blood is just sort of, squirting out of my hand, getting on the tom-tom, and the cymbal, (laughs) and, I'm like, oh, my God, I really am going to kill him after the show. <laughs> but then, you know, a few more seconds and I'm thinking, oh, well, that looks kind of cool, all that.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's the blood <laughs> I was kicking drums.
1: I don't think I'll ever watch that off. That's kind of great. I love that. You know, so, <clears throat> of course, after they told me, and they said, well, you need to go to the hospital. You need to get a tetanus shot. When was the last time you had a tetanus shot? I said, well, never had one. So I did, and we got a shot. Jeff would not talk to me. He avoided me all night. He wouldn't even get close to me. Because you know? I just looked at him like, you know, I wasn't even mad. It was just like, Jeff, that's that's so stupid. It could have been worse. It could have come down on your head. Unfortunately, it didn't. But, you know, don't throw bottles up like that. Uh, don't throw bottles, period. Shit. Um, it's just, you know, of course, that was, I guess they still do sell bottles and nightclubs. But, it seems um, like the uh, the
0: trend is to serve beer in plastic cups these days. Plastic, sure. Yeah, you know. Yeah, when you go to see a show. I saw the Ramones open for Black
1: Sabbath. Wow, a big, really? Big Damn. Place here. And uh, even though that was. That would have been. Oh God, I don't remember the year. 79, maybe? maybe? The Ramones and Black Sabbath. But there were no Sabbath. glass containers there. <coughs> But it was amazing how the Ramones were getting showered with everything else. Uh, plastic cups, you know, ice, they, they drink it, you know, kind of smash. I'd watch them. They'd smash the top of the cup so the ice was in the bottom and then throw it. You know, and it actually made for a pretty good, you know, a pretty good missile. And uh, the Ramones were just getting pummeled with uh, stuff. And I was just like, God, his idea was this. Uh, that's that happened to us too even after the long after Billy Idol in 1984 we opened for him at the Long Beach arena, which is fourteen thousand seat place. <coughs> and again, it was because Billy Idol was a fan of Gun club. so why don't you open for us and and three hundred bucks too. God <laughs> only knows how many thousands he made. Yeah. Uh, it was sold out. And, and but you know we said we're like fine yeah we'll we'll do the show. Um, now we were not listed in any of the ads, <clears throat> but we were on the marquee outside the auditorium. Misspelled it was like G U N N. wasn't the first time that had happened. How do you misspell Gun Club? Gun like... Club yeah but, I mean it's it, but you know at that point he had White Wedding was a platinum selling album. You know, people didn't give a shit. The opening man, you know. But what made it bad was that the lights come down, you know, in this massive auditorium. And people automatically get excited because they're so drunk by then. They don't even know if they missed the first band or not. They don't even know if we played or not, you know. They don't care. And they see a guy with blonde hair walk out onto the stage. Well, it's not Billy Idol. It's Jeff because Jeff had bleached blonde hair at the time but they think it's Billy Idol and then he walks out and then the rest of us fall in behind and then they realize it's not Billy Idol it's who the fuck are these guys <laughs> and the place exploded and I mean I was truly impressed getting behind the drums at the sound of 14,000 people booing 14,000 people trying to send you to hell At that moment. And the thing about this place was, from the stage, it's a big stage, but on each side there's like these um, uh, seats that sort of wrap uh, like on, on a mezzanine level or upper level. And they're kind of almost at eye level. They're almost even with you on the stage. And there were all these guys up there, you know, like just guys that... Uh, you know they don't know any they don't know music from anything they just heard it on the radio and yeah. and there they are and they a couple of them almost fell over the railing they were they were flipping us off and you know you could, could just fuck you fuck you fuck you, mother you know, they, they just said they were just doing that on both sides the whole time we played they just hated our guts they were throwing coins and you know anything they could pull out of their pockets i should have kept the coins i probably would have been rich uh i don't know how many quarters bounced off the drums and my head but um that was truly uh, so we, we got about five songs in and jeff true to his nature insulted the audience uh i mean they could hardly hear him anyway but i forget what he called him you know he's just he's he just told them they're all a bunch of assholes or something, you know. And that was it. It was just ferocious. And somebody, he was at the edge of the stage, somebody reached up and grabbed the the microphone, uh, of course it was wired, and pulled it out of his hands, and that was the end of that microphone. It disappeared. They must have unplugged it. And as soon as that happened, security for the uh, Long Beach um the Long Beach security uh, turned the lights off, and they said, "Okay, shows over. You're out of here." And uh, they didn't pay us. Oh man! They said the 300 bucks would cover the cost of the microphone. Oh jeez! And uh, we're like, "Well, you know, you're you're a bunch of lying assholes, but whatever. We had fun. We told them all to go fuck themselves." <laughs> yeah,
0: especially <laughs> since like a 58 or something like that. It's probably only about 80 dollars. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> but that's the kind of stuff. I mean, we we even opened for Sparks oh, yeah. once, Santa Monica Civic, and that was that was better. That wasn't nearly as bad. But Sparks fans weren't quite prepared for Gun Club. Um, but we did have a small little section right there in the front that was actually bobbing along with us and uh, kind of digging it. So it was, it was a little mixed, but you know they were there for Sparks, uh, not Gun Club. But that's just what you do in a band, you know, you have to, you have to do those things. And uh, you know, that experience with Billy Idol there, I mean, to me that was, that was it was pretty impressive, It's pretty amazing. Um, I can only imagine what it must have been like to be at the Coliseum in Rome, you know, if huh. you uh, lost a fight and everybody was thumbing, thumbing, thumbing you, you down, you know, it's like, oh shit, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> If I know any prayers, I better I better let them out. Um, so you know, you, you had the good, you had the bad. <laughs> we go to Europe, and it was not that big, but sometimes eight, nine, ten thousand seat places, all there for us. Yeah, that and, was my uh,
0: understanding. is that gun club was uh, had a your Euro- a European following?
1: It was it was big. I mean, all along the East Coast, you know, everybody. East of the Mississippi, just liked us. They just seemed to get it. I don't know what I don't know what it was. And further east from there in Europe, I know why Europe responded because you know it was American roots music, and no other punk band was really doing anything like that. Even though we never thought of ourselves as a punk band, but they um, they heard all that stuff in there, and of course we covered Robert Johnson. Songs and Jeff, you know, in interviews, we talk about Sunhouse and Blind Lemon Jefferson you know Barbecue Bob and you know all these guys. Um, so they knew that they knew where we were coming from uh, with regard to you know folk and pop music history. And uh, I don't, you know, it just seemed to be kind of right off the bat. We did a small tour the first time. Uh, London, a couple of Amsterdam, you know, Paris, and it was just great, and then we went back for a longer one, and went back again, until they finally ended up just moving there, which I, there's no way I could have done that, but, um, but it was, it was really gratifying, I mean, really, seriously, we, we just really never thought anything that take place, and so any, uh, or, or any kind of attention like that would ever be directed at us. And so when it was, you know, certainly Ward and I, and I, I know Jeff did too, he just, he just couldn't quite take a compliment. Uh, but, uh, you know, we appreciated it so much, you know, it, it, it just, um, you know, we felt like we really had a bond with the people that came to Uh, our shows, even if we weren't really consistent. I mean, we were definitely not some Las Las Vegas, you know, stage act that uh, was rehearsed and prepared and gave you the same show. We had no idea what was gonna happen. But, um, and in Amsterdam, you know, you go there, the first time we played, I mean, you know, they're selling pot at the bar up front and you walk into the auditorium, it's, it's like 1,200 capacity, uh, at at uh, the Pandora, and I mean it was f- just a huge cloud of smoke. And I'd smoked plenty of pot in my life, but it it uh, not not as a punk rocker. But uh, you know, by the time I got behind the drums, I mean I was baked.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and I'm like, um, what am I doing up here? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm playing songs. How do they go? <laughs> I don't even know how I started them played them and then ended them where they're supposed to end you know but I but I was thinking to myself well does it really matter is anyone going to (laughs) notice no but then I I heard a couple of board recordings in fact there's a bootleg out it's pretty good of uh, those shows and they were actually they were actually really good they were great we did some great versions Uh, I I should have taken that as a hint and just rolled one up before every show (laughs) Um, you know but uh, Europe um, it was great I just wish we had been booked over there one time it was not late fall early winter you oh know, yeah because just cold and wet and, yep and uh, difficult like you can't book us in the fucking spring once no it didn't happen so you know and then finally in 1984 as I explained in that little documentary that came out. Um, it's a ghost on the highway.
0: Is that what it's called?
1: Yeah. yeah. The only problem with that, he, he couldn't get the rights to the music. Um, they wanted too much money. So kind of sort of like a fatal wound in a, in a way I, I really liked the job Kurt did on that Kurt Voss. but <clears throat> you know, without the music it sort of mm, left a hole. But um my girlfriend, Amy, uh, at the time, in that 84 tour of Europe, uh, that was one of my, sort of like my demands. You know, like, well, if she doesn't go. I'm not sure I'm going to do it. Because uh, at that time, I was pretty much getting to the end of my rope with that with uh, Jeff. And so, you know, he didn't care. He's just like, well, as long as she pays for herself. Well, she did pay for it. So she could. There's really nothing to pay for. Um, I paid for it she went over with me and um, I had we brought we bought in 1984 a Sony Betamax video camera it was the first video camera that had a battery pack that did not have to be plugged in or wired so it was was truly portable and it was the first one yeah and it was beta which was higher quality than VHS and um, I think it cost like a thousand bucks damn but we bought it, and then we bought um, like twenty blank tapes to take with us on this tour of the U.S. and then we went to Europe. So she and she and I told her, you know, you, you you're gonna run the camera. I can't do it while I'm playing. And so uh, she was kind of getting used to it and learning how to do it in America. And then we went to Europe, and throughout that tour. Um, Throughout most of it, it was about a two-month tour. You know, she got everything. She got every show, backstage, on the ferries, fans on the street, just everything you can imagine. You know, she was getting it, or I was taping it, or just somebody. But she, she mainly did it. And um, and then in Manchester, uh, England, thieves broke into the van while we were playing, oh, no. and not only stole the camera, but they stole all the tapes. Oh no! And you know, it was, somebody said something after it happened, you know, I wasn't listening to much by then, but like, oh, those thieves again, you know, they're always doing that to bands, and I'm like, God, why didn't somebody warn us, you know, just a friendly, like, take your shit inside the club. We just assumed it would be safe. It was England, which is supposed to be all safe, you know, no crime No, Manchester that, is kind of like, um, like a rough town, I think. Yeah, I mean, nothing like that has ever happened to me in the States. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and God, God knows, i probably asked for it a few times still. But that was, right before that, I had asked the tour manager, this guy, this British guy, you know, I said, well, how's the money looking? Because we're playing big shows, and there's a lot of people. And he's like, mm, I don't know, we might break even. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> rewind the tape, say that again, we might break even how can we just break even? We got thousands of people coming to your shows and uh, uh, you know, and he, he just sort of gave me this kind of mumbly bullshit answer and I thought, I'm never gonna get the truth out of this guy. I'm never going to know uh, where, what the money really is, you know? And I just thought I thought at least I would make maybe a few grand and then have all these tapes, and I'm like, "Thank you very much, I'm out." Well, when he told me there's no money, and then all the tapes get stolen, that's when I said, uh, "I think I think I'm out of here." So I went to um, Jeff, and uh, you know he couldn't be less supportive. Uh, and uh, Patricia and Kid certainly were. They felt horrible. Kid Kid got some things stolen too, but they uh, they nobody seemed to have a problem with the money and they all said well we're just going to move to London after this anyway it's just going to be our base you know and they just kind of like "Mm, you know take it or leave it and um, just the accumulation of everything before plus all of that and uh, I did the same thing with Amy that I did with Jim and I said you know what I'm jumping this thing and this is it I'm I'm never coming back so we Did uh, after the Paris show, the tour was almost over, there were a few dates left, and we, um, we managed to get our passports away from the uh, tour manager, was very suspicious of us like, fuck you, give us our passports, we want to go sightseeing, it's Paris, come on. Um, and I uh, just got up really early the next morning and took off, you know, and that was it. Took our stuff, I left my drums. And, uh, we missed the train to, from Paris to Calais, uh, so we had to wait 12 hours and got on that train at midnight, and, of course, it, it rode all night, but it's just, you know, these trains there's packed. Yeah. People are in between the cars. I mean, out, like, outside, in between the cars. Uh, there's people from India and from, you know, Saudi Arabia, and just, at the time, you know, it was just like this, this, uh wacky train of humanity going to Calais in the middle of the night from Paris? What? Why? What's going on? What's in Calais? I don't know about um, But anyway, we did it. We couldn't find a seat. Uh, they were all taken. So we had to sit in between the cars with all the other people from India, actually, it turns out. <coughs> with about five other, you know, pretty bad. And then the train broke down. Couldn't, couldn't run anymore, so we had to wait for buses to come and get us. And finally got us to Calais as the sun was coming up. And then, you know, we took the boat to Dover and then a train to London and uh, crashed for a few hours, got up, went to Heathrow, flew to, uh, to uh, JFK, took a taxi to Queens where our car was in storage, got in the car, turned around and drove it all the way back to Los Angeles. Wow. That's and, an epic travel right there, man. Yeah. So that was it. You know. That's it's a like nice. uh um no more. And I kinda end the book on that plane ride coming back. Uh because it was it was it was emotional for me. You know, I, sure. I I did feel bad, but then I felt like, I don't know, eye for an eye. I I, I know I can't I can't justify it. But I was pissed off and and, uh, and this accumulation of a lot of shit, not making any money after all that stuff. And, uh, you know, since finding out that, yeah, there was quite a bit of money earned by those records, and I, I never got any of it. So I don't I don't feel bad at all about doing what I did. The only people I feel bad about is the people that were coming to see the show. I felt like I let them down. But sometimes there's just a higher authority, you know, that gets in the way now, an interesting thing, uh, one time, Jeff, after we did Fire of Love on, you know, slash label, we knew we, we wanted a, uh, a bigger label. So one time we just got in my car, and we just drove around. We went up to Burbank and Universal City, and, you know, we were just knocking on record company doors. And, you know, back then, it wasn't a whole bunch of security. There was a little... But you could actually talk to people, you know, if you sort of threw, half threw a fit, because the secretary wouldn't know what to do. So you would get someone to talk to you. And uh, I would set out in the car. Jeff would go in there with Fire of Love and make a pitch. And one time, so it was a uh, universal city here. This is just a big building. It's all kinds of record company and movie offices in this particular building. There still are. And he went in there and came back. He said, ah, I went to Warner Brothers, I went to Electra. Electra, uh, they didn't want it, but he gave me this cassette tape, and it was a, a like a promo copy of, of uh, um, a couple of uh, heavy metal bands that, that were coming out, uh, God, I came here, oh geez, I can't remember.
0: Like uh, early '80s, like hair metal type stuff, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Who am I thinking? Of? Yeah, like Motley Crue or something like that. Motley or... crew, thank you. Yeah. Motley Crue. Oh my God, I can't
1: believe I can <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we had a promo uh, of Motley Crue among a, a couple of others, and um, and I'm like Motley Crue, whatever. I'd seen them around town, you know, like, drove, they drove around in this beat up van, and they would stick their heads out the windows, and you know, like give you that that uh, thumbs up and horns fucking rock dude we're gonna fucking rock tonight at the Star what you know i'm like fuck you guys i hate you what are you even doing did you ever hear the ramones you ever heard of any who are you um that was before they were well known i mean it's just people we just thought they were clowns like some sort of circus act um and it turns out they are clowns and circus for the most part yeah yeah uh, but anyway, so, we, you know, we shoved the tape in and we we're just sort of bobbing our heads like, well, okay, it's pretty good hair metal, you know, because, <laughs> you know, we had that heavy metal background anyway. <laughs> and um, so we're just like, yeah, but who gives a shit? They said no. Years and years later, I discovered that the guy who signed Motley Crue, who signed Guns N' Roses, who signed all those bands, also offered Jeff a contract. $40,000. Wow. To make the record, "Fire of Love," you know, was done for two. Tour support, a video, a one-year contract, a single, and like access to big-time, real recording studios and producers. Jeff turned him down, and Jeff never told me that.
0: Back at that particular point in, that's what happened. That that was that was offered to you guys. Yes, it was offered to oh, Jeff. Wow. How did I Man. find
1: out? That guy told me. Whoa. Like about nine or ten years ago, whatever it was, two thousand five or six. Huh. I met him at a party, and he he said, "Whatever the fuck happened to you guys?" I said, "What are you talking?" <laughs> that blows my mind, man. He said, "I offered Jeff a," and I'm like, "Wait, tell me this. Tell me the whole story, start at the beginning." And he told me everything. He said, uh, uh, "He had heard Fire Bluff. He 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 liked it." He wanted to take it. Now he might have ruined the band, but yeah, that's true. Yeah. He wanted to put it up on another level, you know. <laughs> but Jeff didn't tell me that because Jeff had such a hard on to go record for uh, Debbie and Chris's uh, Animal Records label. So he turned that down so he could go do that. And at that point, I mean, I was, I was so livid. You know, I, I just, I was just shaking my head like, oh my god. I know this is bad, and, and, and I know Jeff is dead, but I swear to God, if I could dig him up, bring him to life, and kill him again, I would, I would. would. it's the only thing that would make me happy right now. Motherfucker, I can't believe you turned that down. You know, because no matter what they might have done, it was an opportunity, and we would have been in control of some of it. We would have sounded like Gun Club, and there's no telling what it might have done. I, I had no clue. He might have wanted to make some metal nightmare out. But I don't think so. We we, we really weren't that. But uh, I just I, I you know I just I, I couldn't believe it. We were so desperate to try and live off our music, and I don't mean live well, I just mean pay rent on a one bedroom apartment, you know, which was cheap back then. And to have that just sort of turned down and snatched away because you know, this is where Jeff's judgment just really failed him, and um, he knew it. He knew it uh, that he was kind of fucking up by um, by making that decision. It's like, oh man, God. So you know, someday far in the future, I'm gonna have a talk with him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so were were you guys you know close around the time of his death, or um, you know, were, were you guys well, in touch or? No. Uh, after
1: I left in 84 I stayed true to my word I I, I never I didn't want anything to do with them but they stayed in Europe and that's when Jeff was having some serious issues with the uh, his addictions and um, uh, so it it was uh, let's see yeah I didn't speak to him I didn't know anything I didn't keep track I did hear some of the record and uh, some of the music that he did, and I liked it. Um, I thought there was some good stuff that he kept doing.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, he was a good songwriter, and um, I think it was Lucky Jim or can't That's a what, record, I can't remember which. Yeah. I forget which record. It wasn't maybe not. It Was one of them I particularly liked, and um, uh, but you know he was still going through a succession of drummers, guitar players, and then he met the girl from Japan, Maury, and that was his big fantasy. So he got it. Okay, fine. He went to Japan. Uh, and then, the, the, you know, the earthquake, and, and so, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then he wrote that book of his, which was just like purest fantasy, but it um, said some ridiculous things in there about my girlfriend, Amy's father, who supposedly invented an A-bomb. <laughs> oh. I, I, we related the story to Jeff one time that Amy's father was a, joined the Army. He was a private in the Army. A private in the Army doesn't invent anything, okay? They just take orders. He was in on the initial testing of napalm out in the field, just like some guys went to watch atomic bombs blow up in Nevada, you know, uh, in the Army. they That was, that you had no choice. Um, so they would test this stuff out there, and he was one of the many privates who were, um, you know, I I don't know what they did, but they were just in on it. Well, you know. Jeff, of course, construed that that he was this evil, awful man who invented napalm. He had nothing to do with it. He graduated from college with a uh, health science degree, you know? He was, he makes products for the handicapped the guy. You know, it's he, nothing to do with chemicals and napalm. <coughs> but, and some others, I don't know what else is in there, but, um, uh, and it's too bad Jeff is actually a great writer. I always thought the stuff he wrote for that early fanzine called Slash was just Pretty nice record, if they. You know, he's a really good writer. The guys, just fucking brilliant, Jeff, actually. And um, um, what what where were we going with this? Because well, I was I'd just like,
0: asking if um, like, you know, before he died, if you guys have been you know close. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. I
1: kept thinking of all these other things. Yeah. Uh, that uh, are all in the book, by the way. Um. So that uh, from the time. That I left the band, I didn't talk to him again uh, until in the mid '90s. I, um, uh, I was I was I moved back to Texas, but I was visiting. I was coming out to LA to visit friends and, and coming out a couple of times a year. And um, uh, I came out one year, and oh, I don't know. We a bunch of people were going to go to the the Viper Room, which you know I. I hated, I never even went to the place, really. And, and, um, but I went with them. I mean, I'd never gone before that. And I saw Jeff there. And I thought, wow, there's Jeff. And he looked good. He didn't look bad at all. He he was not overweight. And I'm like, well, here's my chance. I can go up behind him. And I can, you know, put my hand around his neck. (laughs) Or I can shake his hand. And so I went up and I just said, Jeff, what the fuck are you doing? And I shook his hand. And he shook mine, willingly, you know. And we went outside and we just talked like nothing had ever happened. That's awesome. Because I realized in that moment, I just can't hold it against him. He fucked me good, as long as everyone else in the van. So it wasn't just me. But Jeff just had a brain that was going to be like that. You're not going to change it. He did things that he shouldn't have done, but whatever. I'm alive. I'm standing here. He's standing here. In a sense, we did go through a war together, and that just trumped all the other shit, at least at that moment. And he gave me his, like I said in the documentary, he gave me his card, and it just said show business. didn't have a phone number or anything on it. And I just thought, that's perfect, Jeff. Um, I still have the card. (laughs) And then he died two months later. Oh, wow. And I, the thing that shocked me was I thought, well, God, he must have he must have fallen or had a heart attack or something because he just didn't look bad. He looked good. I had no idea that his liver was completely gone, oh. that he'd been on a, a transplant waiting list and that, um, oh, there was just like a laundry list of things that were, Like chronic uh, conditions, you know, that don't, they're not going to kill you right off the bat, but over time, you know, it just grinds away and wears away at you. Yeah, And when you have a lot of those things, you know, they're they're all just going to come together at some point. So, uh, I guess it was an aneurysm or cerebral hemorrhage or something, I can't remember. But, um, Uh, Yeah, I mean, he died, uh, you know, he's 37, and I was just like, uh, (laughs) I was shocked, and I was pissed off. You know, I'm like, I still have karma to work out with you, man, and you go and die on us. (laughs) That's not fair. (laughs) I'm going to join your band again. (laughs) It's like, don't we have another album to make together? You know, and we probably would have. Jeff was so prolific, you know, he would have just been, he just wrote songs in his sleep, I think. Yeah, I mean,
0: honestly, I've, I've, I mean, I've grown to consider you know, Jeffrey Lee Pierce to be, you know, in my opinion, one of the great American songwriters. I mean, I think as time goes on, he's going to be
1: recognized as that. Yeah. Well, and I give him that due in the book. You know, I mean, I have to say what I'm honestly thinking, because he did things that would make anyone think that. And I wasn't the only one. But I'm definitely going to give him or gave him his due and what he deserves. Uh, because that's a guy with one big set of balls. And for him to get up on stage anyway, you know, not being, you know, the most, uh, I mean, he wasn't exactly a sexy Jim Morrison or anything. And uh, <clears throat> he just had a will and a backbone that didn't give a shit. He was going to do it. He couldn't even hardly sing, but he didn't care. He's going to do it anyway. And you know, we used to make jokes about, what would we sound like with a, with a lead singer? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, we have one. Um, but over time, I realized, well, we would have probably sounded like shit. The only person that could have done it was Jeff. Uh, it might have sounded more musical, but, you know, I've watched a lot of videos. I have some videotape left from that tour. They didn't steal everything. It was two or three tapes that were not full. But there's some American things. There's a show at the Ritz that she got, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put all this stuff on a DVD and release it one way or the other. That's I may have to boot like it. I don't yeah, know, totally. but I'm putting it out there. Um, I'm 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 gonna try and, and uh, get you know permission and make it all legal because it's uh, it's worth probably 45 minutes of good footage. Um, with a little bit of stuff backstage and, you know, in between shows. Not much. Uh, Certainly not the documentary that all that crap could have been. We had about 30 hours worth of tape uh, that was uh, stolen. But, um, you know, hopefully that... I'm almost tempted to maybe do something like that for the book, like the first 500 or something, you know, that'd be a, cool. That'd be really cool. Yeah. I'm not, I've got to work that out. John, I know won't give a damn because he doesn't care if he gets sued. He's been sued so many times. Just bounced off. Um, and, and they always, he, he never seems to lose. I don't know what it is, okay. but um, anyway, one, so, of
0: the, one of the biggest uh, things that is a, a real bummer for me is uh, the, the book don't, Go, go tell the mountain the Elderic book. Yeah, that, that thing's been out of print for like twenty years, I think. And you can yeah, you, you got to spend like big money to get a copy of that.
1: Yes, well, um, exactly. Um, I still I still have my copy. It's autographed by Jackie, his sister. I am willing to let it go to anyone who wants it. <laughs> um, I did try to put it on eBay once, and uh, I got about a hundred. But then I was like, mm, eh, I don't think so. Um, yeah. but, is there, uh, is
0: there think, a legal reason why? Is there like, you know, legal stuff why that's, that book's out of print? Well, I
1: think it's simply his, his uh, mother and his sister. Oh. They, that's what Kurt ran into with the documentary. They, they're a little bit hard assed about the. Uh, I, I think they just want some cash, you know, they want the bucks to, uh, I mean, they don't control anything but the music rights. Um, but, but, uh, I think that book, because it's, you know, Jeffrey's likeness, his story, et cetera, so it gets, there's some legal ownership to that, uh, you know, as a, as a book, uh, I think, I, because I think Henry would, would be happy to, uh, it,
0: yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, I
1: don't think there would be a problem. I, I don't know. I, it seems like he would do it in a second if he could. And just based on my experience, it's probably because there's just some issue there. I, I, I have no clue. You know, I, I think I'm going to have to find out. Um, and I could find out. Um, in fact, I will find out. But but uh, it pr- it should be reprinted. Uh, because I've talked to a lot of people over time you know that you know I've said that you know well not so much would it cost them now, but you know they they just can't find it and just uh, you know want want to get a copy of it so but but I, I just have this feeling that if if Henry can't do it, somebody who's a big fan of Jeff's, then there's a reason why and it's probably coming from uh, them. And they may have a perfectly legitimate reason, I don't know, but but uh, it's that's got to be where the bottleneck is.
0: <clears throat> yeah, because I remember when I saw that in the catalog a long time ago when it was in print, and I did not buy it at that point. and And then it just, a couple of years later, I wanted to get a copy and it was gone, you know, from like, just yeah. vanished.
1: Yeah, we're probably a really small print run, you know. Uh Gosh, I don't know even know what it would have been. Maybe a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred yeah, copies. Like that. Yeah, and that's you know not very much. No, no, not at all. Yeah, they'll get sold, and then that's that. Uh, but but I think it's probably time. You know, it, it is time that one way or the other, this should go back out. Now I'm not. Uh, I I don't think his sister has a presence on Facebook or anything. I've looked, and I, I haven't seen anything in it. I don't even know if they still live in California anymore. You know, he's he was born here in uh, Montebello, kind of over in East LA, and uh, so I don't even know if they're around. I don't even know if they care. I I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, my friend uh, Allison Anders, you know, the the director, she has tried to get Gun Club music before, and and she's run into a problem because they just want too much. Common problem when you're trying to get music cues for movies or whatever but um um you know i just think yeah it's it's like you know you kind of stand your ground for as long as you can but at a certain point it's time to just let stuff go you know let it out there let people have it Let, let them have access to it that's the way i feel yeah um and so maybe, I don't know, because my book is coming out. And, you know, I, I could I could easily get a hold of Henry and, and just get the bottom line on it. Just find out. Why the hell is this thing out? Another edition. Um, could probably have all kinds of people write forwards for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Totally. You know, get it updated. And, and uh, hell, as far as I know, Jeff probably has... A ton of writing that
0: never saw the light of day. Well, that that was something else I was thinking too, as well. I mean, you know, being such a prolific songwriter, he's probably got all kinds of pieces that never, you know, never saw the light of day.
1: I'm sure he does. And they, you know, again, they're the ones that would have the access to it. But um, I, I just don't know what the deal is. You know, it's always been a little cloudy. Uh, with that and not unusual I mean you know it's certainly not the only person or or family that's just they just want to protect it but sometimes I think you can be a little over protective and you end up squashing uh, something that um, you know people just want to appreciate enjoy that's uh, they're not no one's exploiting it you know they're just but, but you gotta make it available, you know. It's gotta be out there somehow. <coughs> so. Yeah.
0: Well, um, I'm looking fo- forward to your book coming out. That's for sure. And um, so yeah, that should be, you know, like you said, late July or something, right? That release date.
1: Yes. Well, uh, like I said, uh, I am I am pushing hard. I've got a lot of things that I have to uh, that I do. And uh, Allison and I still write uh, stuff together, we've done a lot of TV pilots, uh, pitches for shows and things. They've never made it to the air, but you know you get paid to write them, so it's a job. Um, And we're working on, I'm working on one of my own, um, and uh, about a family who grows pot in Northern California, so um, I have a lot of, I know a lot of people that are in the business, but. and then another one that happens to be uh, based on—not uh, based on my book, but certainly drawn from it—about some of the very things we've been talking about. I don't know if that's gonna gonna fly, but uh, uh, hopefully it will. Uh, it's comedy, so like I said, the whole thing was a big comedy anyway. Yeah,
0: I was just gonna say that the only way you can really look at the whole music experience is. With con- with a comedic bent to it, you know. If you take well, it, it certainly helps keep your
1: sanity. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, I I, I I I thought of it as comedy. Some people um, thought of it as other things. Some people found their balance in other ways. Some some good, not some not so good. They drank, they took drugs, they did whatever. I certainly did my share of drinking, but um you know, all it did was make me throw up, and I found my face on the sidewalk too many times, so, (laughs) um, but, uh, it, it, you know, if you can laugh, uh, in in any form, a chuckle, uh, a guffaw, whatever it is, you know, it really helps, uh, when when everything around you is just kind of insane, uh, it may may be hard to do sometimes, but, um you know, for me, and especially out here, uh, I just think, you know, we, we took our fun seriously, I'll put it that way, but, um, but the whole thing was just, um, you know, I, I kind of, um, I kind of sum up the whole scene in my book, you know, by asking what's in a laugh, and as far as I'm concerned, everything. Um, so, that and the fact that that, that whole scene, I I, uh, I, was very politically incorrect because I said that that scene was completely led by pussy power. And uh, it is true, however you want to term it, but women really were the energy and, you know, the ones who... Um, broke the rules. Uh, Us guys, we kind of stand back and watch them because we were sort of amazed. You know, and to watch some of these girls cross Sunset Boulevard, you know, in 1977, looking the way they did. And I mean, they looked amazing. You know, just, you could get photographs all over the internet, but, um, and and cars coming to a halt and just, just staring open mouthed, out the window. And what is that? You know, uh, I thought, man, that, that, that takes some guts you know and uh and they're you know they were the ones who did that they, they 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 were leading the parade and uh so I give them their due as well I had to it's done they'd bust my balls if I didn't so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I had to be careful
0: well uh thanks for taking uh time this evening Terry appreciate it we nice yeah man time.
1: i I appreciate it it, too. it was really, actually, uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it was awesome and, to um, uh, do this, and, and uh, yeah, just um, check out my page right now. It's the, the little source of information about stuff, and uh, I'll keep it posted there. But but in the meantime, um, you know, in about to switch around, and I'll, I'll see you in the book.
2: Uh, I'm Jack, I am from southern land I'm holding your happiness in my hand The sun behind me is a sexual red And all you're bound to hunt, you go so dead I am not Jack, and I tell you this I will be your lover and exorcist In the stillness of the mosquito sunset You will make love to me to your very best Hey Yes, I'm not kiss Jack on fire. we back in the Indian days. Nothing could drive the heat away. Drive a drive to search and murder of lost enemies. A drive deep into what is never seen. And like Jack, there is a heat to the fire. Like a off detects the heat to the light. And like Jack, I covered everything.
0: Have trouble with eye contact on facetime honestly uh-huh. you're always like yeah. kind of looking off to the side or it's like really <laughs> uncomfortable
1: i point. know it's like what what do i look at <laughs>
0: you know i end up staring at their chin or something <laughs> like that you know